Hello, dear listener. You are listening to Nashville Demystified. I am your host, Alex Steed. Nashville Demystified is a show in which I get to know the city better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. Let's see. What do you need to know? Oh, our guest today is Anthony Simpkins of Gems on VHS. But before that, I should tell you that Nashville Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory, which is a video and content production house with offices here in the city. If you need some video produced for your business or message, or you have an idea and you want to convey it cleverly or the way that people communicate online, you know, visually, you should call Knack Factory. I'm one of the people behind Knack Factory. So full disclosure, you might get in touch with me (laughs) by being in touch. Hopefully we can be helpful. I think we can be. You should also know that Nashville Demystified is brought to you by We Own This Town, which is a collection of podcasts made by and for Nashvillians. We have all sorts of shows on this network. And by we, I mean, I'm one of the shows in the network. It's not me, but We Own This Town is brought to you by Michael Eads, who is a delightful fellow. And he has a podcast called we own this town. There are a number of others, uh, one called Band Splainer, one called Liquid Gold, which is about uh, drinks and cocktail culture here in the city. You can learn all sorts of things by listening to the podcast on the We Own This Town Network. Hopefully you will check it out. Anthony Simpkins of Gems on VHS. Long story short, when I came to Nashville, everyone who I knew who was psyched for me to come to Nashville was like, you need to talk with Anthony Simpkins of Gems on VHS. Anthony is a folk hero, like quite literally like a living folk hero. And, you know, I think he would feel weird about me saying this probably because people feel weird about you saying, acknowledging the the sort of power and gravity they have in one way or another. But uh, Gems on VHS is essentially... uh, Oh God, how would I even describe it? It's a collection of videos in particular, performance videos of people who before they got coverage on on Gems and, and maybe even still during, they might feel like this a little bit, are kind of outsiders in folk, Americana, bluegrass, Appalachian music, old time, etc. You know, it's like a crossover of people who are into uh, folk and classic, you know, American music and, you know, on some level like punk and a little bit of metal. And there's there's some attitude and edge there. And in that way, they sort of recapture the outsider element that was original to that type of music. Anthony's coverage of bands like uh, Lost Dog Street Band and folks like Casper Allen and then you know, musicians like Sierra. Farrell and many others have helped bring these artists to, you know, a larger, a larger bit of attention and to some recognition and prominence. And in doing so, I think he's, he's brought the genre to people who otherwise might not have been familiar with it. He's brought in definitely a fresh, a fresh audience. If you ever been to a show of any of the artists that I mentioned, or, or sort of any others who've gotten attention from gems, you see a crossover of people who traditionally very much you know belong at a show where there are strings involved <laughs> like lots of strings and then there are people who maybe a handful of years ago you wouldn't have thought would be at that show but in a way i mean it goes back to in one way or another what you know the dead did for this type of music over 50 years ago so he's doing interesting interesting stuff particularly with video you know the first person that comes to mind to for me and a lot of people who think about anthony is alan lomax you know he's very much a uh, musicologist and archivist. He has very little ego about the entire thing. He's actually uncomfortable around acknowledging how much power he has in helping to create and shape careers. I understand why that's a lot of responsibility and pressure, but I could go on and on as I have in other drafts of this introduction. (laughs) I don't need to because Anthony is going to speak to all of it, but check out his stuff on gem, you know, on gems. It's primarily a YouTube page, but there's social, you know, there's all the kinds of social that you need and you find on the internet surrounding the label. It's not even technically a label. It's just a guy with a camera covering some stuff. But uh, along the way, he's gained you know millions of viewers because his eyes very good. His ears very good. National Demystified is on social media. Uh, if you follow us and subscribe and like us uh, and, and write ratings, all that, that's all very helpful to us. It's helpful for people to know what we're doing because then in theory, we gain an audience. People are into it. More guests want to come on. <laughs> So, so please, at the very least, subscribe, rate, and then, you know, interact with us on social, wherever uh, your socials happen. All right, that's it for me. Without further ado, Anthony Simpkins of Gems on VHS. Rolling and take one. One. 
Can you can you please play a song about Jesus and the atomic bomb? I know just the one. Hold on. Everybody's worried about that atom bomb, but ain't nobody worried. My day, my Lord shall come when he'll hit with God Almighty like an atom bomb. When he'll come, when he'll come. God told Elijah he'd send down fire, send down fire from a pie. Told his brother Noah about the rainbow sign, there'll be no water but the fire next time. If you get worried, just bear in mind. If you keep King Jesus, you will find peace. Heaven is a joy divine with my Jesus on your mind. Everybody's worried about that atom bomb. Ain't nobody worried, but the day my Lord shall come when he'll hit the God Almighty like an atom bomb. When he'll come, when he'll come. What is it? In 1945, the atom bomb came alive. 1949, the USA got very wise. Found out a country had crossed the line at an atom bomb of the very same kind. People got worried all over the land, just like old Scott in Japan. Everybody's worried about the atom bomb. Everybody's worried about that atom bomb. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, it goes like that. You know? You're scared. I can see it in your eyes. I don't want to put fear in you. Strike the fear of atomic winter. It seems quaint so, that we were just worried about. Yeah, now we're worried about. Just nuclear winter. <laughs> now we're worried about just straight, never ending winter mixed with terrible weather of climate change and maybe also like a artificial intelligence. Exactly. <laughs> Volunteering all of our agency to, uh, to social media. <laughs> were you raised in a religious household? Um, <laughs> this, uh, no. No? <laughs> no, that's a funny question. Nobody ever asked that. Yeah. Uh, no, not at all. I think my, my parents are kind of like the casual christians in that they think they should be but then they see church and it's like way less fun than watching tv on sunday so they stay at home but i think uh my grandparents are i remember one time i told my grandma i didn't believe in god and she just kind of ignored it mm. she was like oh no you have to it's easier that way. <laughs> it's easier that way yeah. so she i think she still thinks that i i do but i don't and i think one time my stepdad told me he thought that after you die you're just raising daisies Mm. They're really fans of quaint sayings like that. I think that really made them comfort. Although now he's had a whole like turnaround. I think the older you get, the more likely you are to come to Jesus. And I think he found Kenny Chesney and all that kind of stuff. And now, now instead of listening to Iron Maiden and Kiss, mm. they're like into you know Toby Keith and all that. So it's kind of a natural progression. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how I'm hoping I go. We were talking earlier, and, and I know that you have been here since middle school. Yeah. In Nashville since middle school. Yeah, yeah. How how does Nashville shape shape your perspective, particularly with what you do at Gems? Oh, man. You know, I've lived here for so long, I don't really think about it very much anymore. Obviously, it's a given that the city has gotten way bigger. You know, when I grew up, it was 500,000 people lived here. Mm. Now, I think it's pushing over a million. 10 million. 10 million, yeah. <laughs> this is New York City, bigger than New York. Uh, no, it's not that big, but it is pretty big, and uh, it's definitely a lot different than I remember. And I think shaping me, though, uh, we wouldn't, none of this would have happened. None, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I do, and none of us would have had the opportunity to do this. You know, have some other opportunity maybe to do something else. But as far as music goes, I live here, and, you know, I meet people that knew Towns Van Zandt, you know, casually. Like, that's just the thing, you know, his daughter lives here, you know, like, uh, you know, just meet people in the music industry that were like, you know, met John Lomax III is on this board back here, you know, that guy is John Lomax Sr.'s uh, grandson who, you know, recorded Home on the Range, like the song that every school kid learns, you know, and so that kind of shapes Nashville and shapes like how you grow up and I was just surrounded by that, so it was kind of natural to get into this, and that's definitely how we got to meet so many musicians, you know? If I had been in, you know, Minnesota or something, maybe I'd be farming cheese or something, I don't know, but it wouldn't be anything to do with country music, I mean, it, it's the heart here. Were you the proximity to people who were around? Like the other day, actually, I was someone who engineered a friend's record, engineered my girlfriend's record. I was looking looking at his Instagram profile, and I was like, "Oh, he's uh, Roy Orbison's grandson, oh, yeah, exactly. or like grandson-in-law, <laughs> or something, you know, something like." And I was like, yeah. "Oh, like everyone has some weird proximity yeah. to a history." But then also, if you're in it, like you maybe don't realize the gravity of it. No, definitely, you get a little jaded to it. I mean, I dated Cowboy Jack Clement's uh, niece for a day or something, so, you know, like, you just... This is the engineer at Cowboy Jack Studio, by the way, that I'm talking about. Oh, really? This can't make it into the cut. Oh, God. uh, So, the guy who engineers there is her dad, but... uh, Oh, that's funny, yeah, yeah. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you just get surrounded by it, and you kind of forget. And then people come here, and they're, like, so starry-eyed, and they want to go to the Johnny Cash Museum, and I'm like, roll them eyes, you know, you get to go see Taylor Swift's laptop at the Country Music, you know, History Museum, and I'm just like, you know, why would you want to come here and do that? But uh, I guess if I didn't live here, you know, and then seeing live music, I mean, I don't even bother to go out anymore, but, you know, live music here is some of the best in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Uh, for bluegrass and country music, it is the best in the world. You know, you can go to any bar and see a band that would be the best band that would stop in your town a year, and they play every day at Layla's, you know, yeah. Roberts on Broadway, Acme. You know, my mm-hmm. buddy Josh O'Keefe plays, yeah. you know, four nights a week, four mornings a week at Layla's. Irish tunes and stuff, and uh, you, know, you can't get that anywhere else for free. You know, you go in there for free. You didn't grow up on that genre, did you? Like, did you? What was the? What was your genre of choice as a kid? Oh, when I grew up, country music wasn't cool. Right. Uh, nobody listened to that. That was lame. Um, and I grew up on. I mean, the first record I ever bought with my own money was uh, probably Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, and the Rolling mm. Stones, and. John Lennon's greatest hits and that kind of stuff is what I really always liked kind of songwriter music and acoustic music and you know from there it was Nirvana you know and from Nirvana I went to find Lead Belly and from Lead Belly you know you find Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie and from there it just kind of spiraled. But why did you I mean but most people Mm -hmm. who like Nirvana you know, they know the Lead Belly cover, they don't go back. Or they know the Smithereens cover, they don't go back. <laughs> Why did, like, what was it about you that made you go, like, trace those roots? I ran out of Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> we all did. <laughs> yeah, he died, and then they never made the hologram with the next album. So I had to, I had to go back and, uh, you know, start looking at, okay, who is he listening to, you know? And I, I just was drawn to those powerful performances of old. You know, there's less pretension in it, because mm-hmm. they're all, you know, it was a different time. And I, I feel like... I don't know what it was that made me really drawn to all that. I know that I got into the Ava Brothers when I was 16, who saying that now is almost cliche because they play stadiums and they're like this really cheesy music that Rick Rubin produces, (laughs) which is awful, by the way. If they're listening, they should really change producers. (laughs) But when I started getting into them, I mean, it was this punk-like, punk bluegrass music with energy and feeling, and it was like, it really was amazing in a way that a lot of other stuff I was into just didn't hit me and uh that made me pick up the banjo Mm -hmm. and uh from there it was like man how deep down this rabbit hole can i go you know there was this band called iron horse have you ever heard of them they played bluegrass covers of like modest mouse and uh, and metallica and all these different ones and i loved them too and that got me kind of into bluegrass as well yeah so i guess i was always into like indie music and like singer songwriter stuff and folk music that was kind of my my path down that rabbit hole yeah. from there and metal music and punk music i liked everything when i was growing up like i remember when they, when all the when like bluegrass covers were coming out and yeah. like it was almost like a novelty it was a novelty. you know and then I, I ended up meeting someone who was in a bluegrass band who i mean you run into this here all the time but you don't run into this in maine where i'm from is i met a guy who's in bluegrass band but also mm-hmm. had a foot in metal Oh yeah, and he was the one. He was the person who made me understand that like these are these are very closely related genres. Yeah, I always like to say bluegrass is just a uh, death metal for old white acoustic <laughs> music guys. So, you know, it's the same stuff, but it's not played through amps. Or, right, you know, it's really loud. It's fast. Right, you know, and people don't realize it's fueled too, by a ton of cocaine. I imagine. I think uh, yeah, yeah, well, speed just trucker the, speed. No, for bluegrass, it's just the uh, it's feeling the rapture. Right, the gospel hits you, and you just are that high. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, bluegrass people don't realize started in the '70s mm-hmm. or so. It only progressed from '70s to to now. I mean, that's like what forty years. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know it's newer than rock and roll. Right. So you know when people say bluegrass, they think of this whole big genre that goes back you know as far back as you can. But mm-hmm. bluegrass was just kind of like a novelty even then. You know, I mean, it was like unique and different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of staled out in the '90s. I think there's still a lot of great bands, but that's why it needed that resurgence of people doing yeah. novelty bluegrass band stuff. I think the first most popular bluegrass song was the Beverly Hillbillies theme. Yeah, probably. Which was like a Flat and Scruggs song. That? that was yeah, Flat yeah. and Scruggs, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that was that was a big deal. Like, yeah. Like when that hit American households, that was like a novel idea. Right? Yeah. Like, what is this like crazy fast? Uh, you know, picking music. Wow. Yeah. Banjos were never played like that before. Right. I mean, in a way, they were, but uh, you know, at first it was like. Clawhammer was big, mm-hmm. and then you have like two finger stuff, and you have all these different variations by region, and then bluegrass was just like this 
real different ideas. Like really fast three finger picking was not uh, super common except in certain regions. Yeah, and uh, that always was. I don't know. I love. I could nerd out on all that that kind of stuff all day. I guess that's my favorite part about music is <laughs> just all these regional differences. I guess. Well, okay. Now I have to I have to sort through all of the questions I want to ask at once. But the, <laughs> the first, I guess, is like, are you familiar with? I assume at some level with like the you know Alan Lomax's history of sort of like recording being a musicologist like recording people in particular arenas uh, you know there are these great alan lomax collections of, from like the 40s through i think like the 60s of oh yeah of, definitely uh, so with that work is that on your mind when you're when you're doing what you're doing or are you sort of not paying attention to the cultural significance of capturing the scene you're capturing Oh no, we're definitely uh, inspired by Alan Lomax. I think yeah. those uh, that was another thing I found around the time I found the Aver Brothers uh, when I was like 16. You know, I was, started watching on YouTube all these uh, Alan Lomax recordings, uh, which were not very popular on YouTube, which is surprising. <laughs> uh, but you know, those are all like historic recordings of a time by and gone that uh, wasn't well documented by anybody else. Definitely not on video. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I absolutely love those recordings, and I. I took a lot of inspiration from that. Cinema verite, you know, just like uh, people living their real lives, you know, documentary style shooting, you know, showing it for what it was. No, no pretensions and no uh, nothing made up, you know. They just go and they shoot it and they get the song, and I think people love that. Yeah. And well, I, I think of those. I think of I think of him a lot when I see what you do, and I think of your overall project. I think of Les Blank a lot, who's you know who made a, a number of documentaries about you know polka and and, oh, yeah. and country and and oh, yeah. southern cooking and just, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. No, he's a, he's a big one too. Yeah. There wasn't really like an agenda. It was just you show up and shoot it. Yeah, that's kind of what we try and do, you know. And there gets to be a lot of varying factors uh, that take part. I feel like anything you try and do for noble purposes uh, ends up getting corrupted a little bit. So yeah. you know, now we gotta think about you know using YouTube and how we use YouTube, et cetera, <laughs> and like all these different platforms and stuff, and the internet part of it, like the dealing with labels and this, that, and the other. But if I could, I would just turn all that off and just go shoot people all day and, you know, have it just be a fun thing. And that's what it started out as, too. Yeah. And so I imagine that all those guys had to go through the same thing. You know, they're just drawn to recording what they want to see, you know, and then you got to deal with real life around it. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess tell me about what led to the formation of Gems and, like, was it conscious or was it just stuff started to come together and take shape? Oh, yeah, it's been a while, you know, and it started out with this exact same ideas it has today where i was just you know wanting to record great musicians and you know to show people great great songs mm-hmm. started out like that and uh i think it went through a lot of iterations uh in the meantime when i was still trying to figure out how to how to make a living doing what i do i never went to college or anything like that so it was a, a lot of learning and a lot of work over the years but uh it kind of changed and morphed and then eventually kind of one of the songs uh finally kind of blew up went viral etc etc and then from there we were able to kind of really get into the nitty-gritty and do it do it every day you know and that's been that's been how the message and the and the identity has really broadened and kind of taken the form it takes today what what was the song that that went viral first uh i think a band called lost dog street band had this song i went down to georgia yeah that they filmed that their friend Nick wrote and that one took off you know people loved it and the people loved the message and everything and they're really talented yeah and that, one, that went really well and and once that started getting a bunch of views you know I, I was like okay I should talk to these people these mm-hmm. are these people watching the video you know and liking it and we just started releasing more and uh, doing more and focusing more on it and you know recording more artists now we're recording way too many and I got like a million years of editing to do but uh yeah, it's been going really good since then. Do you think that with the first song that gained traction, with that being a Lost Dog song, do you think that that helped shape and lock in what the overall aesthetic was? Like that this band and these people sort of like both visually and thematically ended up shaping who you were reaching out to? Or No, not at all. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, it did uh, just arbitrarily. Was, those are the people, you know, if they like that band, they subscribed and they mm-hmm. want more. But I've never really catered to... A specific crowd like I don't I don't care if they don't like the things I post uh, I most of the time they do because mm-hmm. uh, you know I think Lost Oak Street Band was just uh, my taste you know I, I love what they were doing and I believed in it and I love their honesty and I love their character and their story 
so I filmed that. But then, you know, since then I filmed artists that are, you know, pretty different. What stays the same is the, the style that we recorded in. And uh, the, you know, anything stripped down like that is going to sound somewhat the same as these other bands they like. But then once they those bands add, like, their produced version right. for the album, uh, it's funny, a lot of the audience will be like, I don't like this. Like, you should just do it acoustic because they saw the video and they think, <laughs> but that's, that just happens to be my style. Right. You know, what they don't realize is they're looking at the artist through my lens, which has given them, you know, a certain feel, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny, and I feel bad for the artist in that way, but, you know, I'm just doing it the way I do it. So I think that... You know, the audience is definitely expecting one thing, but if you look at the channel and you kind of browse through the genres, and especially going into the future, because I'm trying to make it way more diverse. I'm, tr- I'm sneaking it in the back door, right? Like, yeah. uh, it's going to be... You mean genre diverse? Yeah, we yeah. just released one today that is actually this incredible fusion bluegrass group um, with members from North Carolina, Argentina, and <laughs> Mexico called Che Apalache. <laughs> They're just incredible like one of the best bands i've ever heard they have songs in japanese and spanish and english wow. you know and uh and it's just a really eclectic group and uh I, you know i don't know if people are gonna like i haven't even looked since i released it today but uh, i don't really care because uh, mm. i love it and that's all that matters to me and i'm gonna release right. it and i if people i think people appreciate it's an it's an overall message really it's not an aesthetic and it's not a genre that i'm i care about it's more of the, the message. Like, does this person have something to say? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, oh my God, uh, Che Apalache has a song called The Dreamer, mm-hmm. and it's about DACA recipients. Yeah. And uh, they went down to the border and like did like a whole trip where they like, you know, really showed what life was like down there and like all these people in, in camps and like the this huge gate, you know, and uh, oh man, it was just wild. And, you know, so I knew they're like Woody Guthrie, you know, of today, and I love that. They go and they do songs about people who don't have a voice and I love that and I think that's what that's what draws me to music and I think that's what the audience is gonna like you know yeah. it, might, it might not be crusty crazy banjo music every time mm-hmm. but uh, I think they're gonna uh, overall get the idea the crust banjo yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're out there how'd you run into Sierra Sierra Farrell oh uh Eric McConnell, yeah. who's like a crazy good producer, who's done, I think, uh, a bunch of albums for people like Todd Snyder. He's worked with, uh, well, I won't name drop everybody he's worked with, but he's he's just an incredible guy. And uh, he actually invited me over once. I mean, I think the first time I met her, she was at the Legion, and she asked me to dance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had heard about her before from a few people. People tend to tell me, like, when there's somebody really talented, like, you need to record this person. Right. And I think we uh, met at the Legion, and Eric invited me over to film her, and she happened to be there, and yeah, that's how I met her. Why was she a person who you thought made sense to uh, record? She's just really talented. Yeah. She's a great singer, great player. Anybody who sees her knows that, though, and so, you know, my job was really easy. I yeah. just I just uh, hit record. Yeah, she's like a powerful ghost. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's really good. I started realm. driving around the other day with somebody in a car. Mm. She's not answering my text right now, though. So. <laughs> I, I tried to get her to record something with uh, Todd Snyder because yeah. he wanted to do something with her. He, he's good friends with her, too. Yeah, so who knows where she's at. She actually just got signed to a big label. Answer Anthony's text. Oh, it's fine, it's fine. She's busy, she's doing big <laughs> she things. She got signed around her, right? Something yeah, like. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think if we do stuff with the artists and they go on to do, you know, bigger things, I'm all for that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how does that, I mean, you have an interesting role. Like you said earlier, right, like people who listen, they see your imprint and they see sort of what you're offering in the production and that helps end up shaping an audience um it's like an interesting it's an interesting like facilitation role into potential like larger exposure and opportunity Mm. and that must be hard to separate yourself from i just don't think about it come on i I just try and uh, focus on what i do you know if i started thinking about all this other extenuating factors my job would get a lot harder than it needs to be you know i mean I, I went to one of these uh, Americana Week parties, mm-hmm. you know, Rounder invited me out. Uh, Sierra was playing and Andrew Bird and I call it uh, whoever yeah. else. And I get there and, I, you know, that they, they come up and tell me that their A&R rep watches the channel so that they can, uh, you know, like scope people out. And I'm thinking like, well, that's cool, I guess, but whatever. Like, you know, I just try not to think about it because if I do, then, I, you know, it kind of like poisons everything right. uh, as far as what I'm trying to do. You know, and I think that frustrates some people too. I mean, I don't know, like not catering to the to the whole platform idea. You know, I, I like telling stories. You know, and mm-hmm. I like 
recording the artists that have a story to tell and yeah, I mean that's it. I just like that's all I focus on. Yeah, I try not to focus on the the extenuating factors. We were talking about this earlier, and we stopped ourselves from going too deep too deep down this hole. But like, what is the genre? I mean, it's I know it's hard to and look. I'm looking at all the people you recorded up here. I know it's hard to nail down in one specific place, but there seems to be a bit of a through line. Well, it's all folk music. Yeah, it's the people's music, and I only record people that have something to say for the most part. I guess. And How do you determine what that? what that is you know it's uh, i don't know there's that's a a magic factor that you have you know i don't know some people have good taste some people don't and uh, i do not to say i have good taste it sounds pretty sounds pretty arrogant but i don't know i just listen to the song and if it strikes me as saying something novel or honest or like unique you know i try and be like okay i should record this yeah yeah and you know it might not be every year that an artist has something important to say. I think a lot of the artists I record now don't know that yet, but mm -hmm. I'm only going to record them when their story has progressed, right. you know, and I've been recording some of the, some people over the years too, and it's going to keep going, you know, and I mm -hmm. love that part of it. And the genre is just folk music. It's, you know, what people have to say, right. and people with something to say. You know, it's like that difference. I was listening to something the other day with someone and they said they were like 15 seconds into the song and they're like, oh, I get it like they got what the person was trying to convey mm. right which is is sort of a failure on the songwriter's part right because like mm. the difference between oh i get it and oh this person is saying a thing that's like somehow already inside me mm. is that seems to be like the difference in an honesty and mm. like that's a thing that i recognize with a lot of the people you're talking about is it's like it's not like they're telling a truth it's like they're activating something that was already within yeah definitely me. yeah uh, the best songs are really specific but make you feel something really general. Right. Uh, like really like Fred Eagle Smith is a writer that I really like and Chris Knight who can write songs that tell stories and, and use nouns and use adjectives that are very specific. But by the time he's done with saying what he said, it's like you can relate to it really strongly. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the artists on the channel do the same thing, you know, and they, they write poetry I and mean, that really poetry moves people. And uh, there's a difference between like a really surface level song with uh, suffixes that rhyme mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, and a song that really paints a picture and makes you feel something, you know, really right. special and, and relatable and challenging. Yeah. Know? And if it doesn't hurt to sing it and if it isn't embarrassing to do, mm -hmm. uh, then it's probably not a good song. <laughs> Well, I talked to uh, Mercy Bell in an interview not long ago, and she'd said that, uh, you know, one of her primary motivators is just, like, short stories, right? Which is, which I think oh, wow, yeah. a lot of these, a, a lot of the people I know you've recorded do particularly well. It's like, it's not necessarily, I mean, they are songs, obviously, but mm -hmm. but they're evoking something else. That's funny you said that, because uh, this guy, John Davey, there's a song that I haven't released of his yet. He's a songwriter that lives in Marquette, Michigan. I just went up there and visited him, and uh, one of the songs that I haven't released is the influence for it. He explains before the song was a short story that mm -hmm. uh, he had really enjoyed, you know. And I always find it interesting writers that can get that from a, a story, you know. Like, mm -hmm. you, you can read something and be so inspired to write a story kind of based around it yeah. uh, that's a that's a skill and that's really hard that's hard work yeah it's really hard work. but he wrote a song about it and like it's this beautiful song that like flows and has this crazy like all these n this narrative and this it could be about anything but it's about this thing and uh, i just love it i mean it's just like how do you do that yeah, <laughs> yeah i want to do that how do you engage with jim's fan base and how do they engage with you like how do they see you in this in this overall picture we try to I'm trying to bring them in, you know, and include them. And we've got like, we've been doing a few things that are interesting. And I, I want to really, I, re I really want people to learn. Uh, Education is a big part of the channel, or I want to make it that, you know. And so we've added like guitar tabs to all of the songs that huh. our friend in Germany, Nico Bloom, uh, he has been taking the time to tablature everything out, mm -hmm. uh, or at least do chords for it. And I love, you know, that people can take that and start playing the songs themselves. And then they started posting covers of them playing and a lot of people that watch the channel i i, I don't even call them fans just like friends and audience uh mm -hmm. they they're also great musicians and a lot of them have been inspired to pick up their instruments again after you know a long time some of them say like oh, i haven't picked it up in years and you know this inspired me to pick it up and start playing and i love that you know mm -hmm. i think music makes people more intelligent makes them more empathetic makes them better mm -hmm. you know gives them an outlet and so you know that's kind of how i've been trying to engage with them we're about to do a contest and try and like uh, you know get somebody who <laughs> to win uh, first place gets you know a video on the channel. We're gonna go <laughs> record them. We're gonna let people vote, 
and everybody's just been interacting and sharing songs they like on the Facebook page and stuff. And, you know, that's that's kind of all the interaction we've been doing. We're, we're gonna try and do shows eventually too, you know, yeah. and, and get people to come out and interact like that. But yeah, yeah. it's been interesting. Should you do an Americana Fest showcase next year? I think they're pretty closed off. I don't know. I think you got to be you got to know somebody to know somebody. Yeah, so. it's run by only like three people. Yeah, I mean, it's a wild yeah, scene. Let's do it. Let's be get. Let's get in there. You let's can, do it. Let's get you unofficial in there. Showcase. That's the, that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> if they see this, maybe they'll get us in there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think I think that's the thing with those things is like the people like like you. You know, it's like you're so involved in making your thing that you sometimes don't have eyes on the world. You know, and I think yeah. that, that ends yeah. up happening with. Well, with we're these trying things. to bring people. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're busy, you're busy. You know, and you get a million emails. I mean, it's it's. I'm sure they get like a, a billion emails. So right. It's really hard to. I haven't tried though. You know, yeah. throwing shows is a whole nother job. Like. Uh, there's a lot that goes into all this other stuff that I'm not able to focus on all the time. Mm-hmm. But because of Patreon and, and people who have been supporting us, we've been able to try new things mm-hmm. and bring on new projects, you know, and I can still focus on doing the videos, which is all I'm good at anyway. So right. just focus on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a good lesson for anyone looking in is like, know what you're good at. And yeah. So work stick to your system. lane, right? Sure. Isn't that what they say? It, it, it's hard for people to realize. A lot of people have a ton of ideas and then they don't, they don't exercise any of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I try and keep in mind that all these crazy ideas I have, I really need to focus on the ones that are, I'm good at and are practical mm-hmm. first and then expand out from there. Yeah. I've been trying to do an interview series, which you might be watching right now <laughs> uh, if we release it really well. But that's turned out to be a lot more work mm-hmm. than uh, I expected. Yeah. You know, uh, cutting interview. interviews is a pain in the ass. Yeah. Three well, cameras. And being an interviewee <laughs> and asking questions is a lot of work, isn't yeah. it? And, you know, I found that at first I wasn't as good as I thought I was going to be right off the bat mm-hmm. at uh, asking people things that are interesting. No Joe Rogan. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. And now is a commercial break for our uh, Nutrisystem. <laughs> it's uh, mushroom vibe brain. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to focus on all those things at once though, different aspects. So I've just been trying to stick to my lane. Yeah. Who's your audience? I, our audience is uh oh man, I don't even wanna I don't wanna get into it almost. It's uh yeah. only because I want to expand it. Well I let me do, yeah. so we talked about this earlier. Let yeah. me tell you how I know about you and tell me how resonant that is to yeah, your audience. Go at it from there. So I <laughs> so I when I moved here from Maine, one of my best friends was like, You have to find this guy and interview this guy. He's great. Yeah. Here's why, et cetera. Oh, how sweet. And he is a former corporate lawyer. Oh, yeah. MMA fighter. <laughs> studied civil rights law at Columbia and now works for the Justice Department. That's funny. Um, and he yeah, high, is the, high power people. Okay. Yeah, and he's and he <laughs> brought me. I mean, he brought me to a Lost Dog show. Like he, this is how. And then yeah. he, you know, it was all through what you're doing. Yeah. And, and oh, and also he manufactures holders for magazines mm-hmm. in case you need to hold multiple magazines <laughs> for your firearms that you're carrying. Just with in you. case. So I mean, you know, it's a bit of a conundrum or a I say paradox. Our fans are free thinking people. <laughs> <laughs> they're unique and they they aren't afraid to be themselves as a lot of these people you know you'll all see people on the Facebook group with these crazy face tattoos right. you know with like bars across their eyes and stuff shout out to those guys and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's always amazes me uh, you know it's a it's a wide variety of people uh, not as wide a variety as I hope for it to be Sorry about that. <laughs> not as wide a variety as I hope for it to be but uh one day I, I hope to expand it a little bit. Yeah. But uh, right now, you know, I think people that are attracted to the channel are all uh, really free-thinking people. They're really, you know, open and uh, want to experience new things, you know. Yeah. That's the people who are really drawn to it. They get the message. They understand, like, it's an intellectual thing. It's a right. challenge. It's funny, John Lomax III, he was Towns Van Zant's manager in, mm. the, in the 90s, maybe? And uh, he told me a story. His first act as manager, he put Towns in Rolling Stone magazine. He mm. put a, a full-page ad that just said, Towns Van Zant, greatest living songwriter. If you want to join the fan club, send it to this address, send $5 or something, right? Mm-hmm. And he said he got like you know messages right away that were just people being like, his music changed my life. Mm-hmm. And what he said was common about all the letters that he got was they were all from really well-written, articulate, intelligent right. people who were just like drawn to this music because it's right. very cerebral. Right. Uh, they, they really took to it because it challenged their mind. You know, it's not, it wasn't just poppy stuff that, you know, feel good music, which is nothing wrong with that. But that's mm-hmm. what they were attracted to by it. It, it challenged their mind, you know. And yeah. I think our fans are a lot like that. 
you know, the messages that I get are crazy. Like people like just this guy, Brendan, uh, in Australia, Leary, who uh, writes me these huge messages where he's kind of like found all this stuff about the songs and he goes into depth and goes deep diving on it. Like it, those, are the, those are our people. Yeah. Nerds, music nerds. It's funny, the one place I get recognized is when I go into, like, I went to McKay's one day, mm -hmm. and it, McKay's is like our used bookstore slash used music store. Basically, heaven for music nerds yeah. and uh, people it's that a, like to learn. Beautiful. And of course, the guy at the counter is like, you have a YouTube channel. He, like, he knows me, you know? Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, these are my people, you know? Like, mm -hmm. people that just appreciate the deep cuts. And uh, I went, then I went to The Great Escape the very next day, and it happened again. And I was like, these are really our people. Like, these people that, you know, really appreciate music and appreciate, like, uh, being challenged by it, you know? And yeah. challenging themselves to be better by it. People who work at, like, badly lit record stores. Yeah, Like, exactly. a very specific kind of the record nerds. store. But yeah, hopefully exactly. minus the pretension. Totally. That's no, what we're no, trying absolutely. to break out of. Well, that's the thing that I, I find fascinating with what you do, is that I'm close to a lot of people in bluegrass who are respected and revered, et cetera, uh -huh. in that arena but there is an insularity in that community yeah. especially among people who have any foot in academia yeah around it. yeah and well there's a lot of abuse too by people in academia and bluegrass they come oh, to, for sure. they come to those events and they like treat it like a zoological expedition right. and they they look down on kind of the the people that come there from the country that just have always played bluegrass and mm -hmm. you know there's kind of always been like a war between those two yeah and I, I guess it is kind of like the folklorist versus the folk, you know. It was a, but the way I've kind of avoided that is by just focusing on a lot of modern day contemporary music too. Like mm -hmm. I love traditional music, but we don't dig too deep into that, and that's a very ripe field for uh, contention. Uh, that's a that's kind of a <laughs> you know intellectuals versus the common people kind of field. But I think it, it is a very insular group, and it, we're trying to be more modern day and contemporary and like. I know Joe Troop from Che Appalache that I was talking about mm -hmm. earlier. He is actually one of the few out musicians in bluegrass, mm -hmm. an openly gay musician in bluegrass circles. And, uh, you know, he had a lot to say about that kind of stuff, too. And, and, and in the Deep South, it's, hard, it's slow to change out here, sure. you know. So I think our fans are a lot of people who are, don't fit into that group either. You know, they don't, they're very different. Right. Right, <laughs> a lot right. of different people right. a lot of very strange people well it's inherently I mean it's like it's inherently a queer genre it's a genre that never fit in with any of the I mean yeah. it's not inherently yeah. like textbook queer genre but yeah, it's, no, in, right. it's inherently a genre that never really fit in it's a strange places. genre right? exactly yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit into any box right. uh, what we do and I think that that's what draws different people right? right like the the people who don't feel like they belong in any group and mm -hmm. it turns out there's a lot more of those people than we might have originally thought right like all these disaffected people that yeah. don't feel like they fit into any particular kind of music that's what i think they are drawn to is the the like you know vulnerability and the, the what genre is this kind of feel to a lot of these songs you know these people are just because we kind of stripped it away like there is no genre pretension to it right. it's just kind of like this is a great song you know, about these real feelings that I feel or like this real cause that I'm passionate about and I'm just going to sing it and I don't care what you think about it, you know, right. like I don't care what you put it in and, and there's a lot of that in it. Yeah, you don't need to be a part of the club to enjoy You don't have to be part of any club. There yeah. is no club. We are our own club. You know, you can join or you can leave. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really, we don't, we don't focus on card-carrying membership. Mm -hmm. for it you know and i'm not preaching at anybody when we do it that's the thing too is i might post one day you know like josh o'keefe wrote this song my buddy who is a great folk singer he wrote a song about uh thoughts and prayers it's mm -hmm. called yeah. and it was it's like this powerful song and you know we got a lot of hate in the comments you know from a lot of right-wing people that are like oh i'll keep my guns you know i'm like i'm like that's fine like mm -hmm. this song isn't about me telling you to you know throw your guns into the government armory it's just a song and it's about how he feels about it and we recorded it and I love that you know even if you don't agree with it it's not a political song it's really just telling the story of our times you know you could open up the newspaper and he's singing the newspaper to you you yeah. know like this is how people feel and I love that and I think that's the challenging stuff the, that's the different stuff that's the you know we're not afraid that you know you couldn't write a song like that in traditional bluegrass circles because you know you get booed off stage <laughs> and right. some of them anyway and uh, i think that's what attracts people to the channel man it's like different ideas different thoughts yeah 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 i mean that's interesting so like you know we've talked about how you try not to think too much about your potential influence on on popularity or trajectory 
but you do have a consciousness of what you're trying to introduce by way of content, right? Like, you're not, not by way of a message, mm-hmm. but by way of, well, like, diverse. a diversity of background. Yeah, no, that's a big thing. You wouldn't know it by watching the channel yet because mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to... I, I see my own blind spots in my representation of people on the channel, and I think that by listening to different kinds of music by different people with different narratives and different backgrounds and different languages too you open your mind up and you become more intelligent and empathetic and like you become a better person Mm -hmm. so that's my goal in the long run is to add more different faces from different places and that's that's a huge goal you know i see this as a a really long project too so i'm not just going out there and like finding anybody to grab and be like oh you're different you're you're you know you're not you're a different person let me put you in front of the camera you know it's got to be the greatest stuff that i can find and you know i'm i have a blind spot in that area so i'm trying to get more diverse representation slowly on there mm-hmm. yeah that's a big goal for sure like are you when you're out listening for going out to events or or whatever are, are you sort of constantly looking for who is going to show up in, in the videos or do you already have a sense of who that is no i think uh if the inspiration strikes you know i got a lot of publicists sending me emails all the time and yeah. random people and you know friends of friends will reach out and people will tell me the artists will tell me about some artists and I love meeting new people like that, but you know, it's kind of a lot of work to sit and sift through all that, but I don't really think about it day to day, you know, I just kind of, if I see something that I like, I'll be like, oh, I should reach out to them and see if they want to be on it, you know. Um, Right now I'm going to London Mm. for a month in December, England in general, Scotland, maybe Ireland, and uh, so I just, you know, reached out and shook the bush and tried to see who was come out, and uh, I found some interesting people, some great voices, some different voices, yeah. you know, from what I've normally got, so I'm pretty excited to get out there and see what I can find. Did you choose London and then say, I'm going to figure out who's here, or wh- why London? Well, I've been to England before, so I'm kind of like cooking up these relationships and these contacts there, so I have like a base of people there that I'm starting to work with i also have a girlfriend that lives in england so oh, well, that might, there we go that might, that might have been the real the real uh, inspiration but you know it's a great place to find folk music and I'm, I'm going back a step you know like i'm trying to introduce the audience to more diversity starting with the most adjacent thing mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you have to do it slowly when it comes to you know an audience that is expecting something right you know, I say that I don't care, but I do think about it. So I'm trying to like introduce them to a different culture and mindset, but do it in a way that is palatable to them, you know? So I'm gonna go back a step and go to England and talk to these like Scottish, you know, folklore people that are like a lot like uh, some of the folk music. You know, we have a lot of Scottish and Irish roots in America mm-hmm. for bluegrass and folk music. So it'll be cool to kind of like go one step over and see what see what it's all about there. Right, yeah. So, so backing up a bit to like how these look, what were you watching when you were a kid? I love that movie Eight Mile by Eminem. <laughs> you know, it's like real. He, he gets in there and he Sick. battles them. Uh, I wish that there was more folk music battles like yeah. that. That would be dope. But I was watching a lot of LeBlog Attack when I started the mm. channel. I don't know if you heard of them. No. It was Vincent Moon directed it and he's in uh, France. And these were like these takeaway offstage recordings on YouTube. That was like a first channel like that. Where he would go around and like film, you know, the Arcade Fire, Beirut, or like all these other bands, Fleet Foxes. Mm -hmm. And he would just like be on, you know, field recording audio and like walking around the city and like just off the cuff, you know, and whatever happens in the background happens. And, you know, they took uh, Yay Sayers on the subway in Paris and like they're all singing on the the middle of the subway, like, you know, real impromptu. Mm And I've always loved the looks and feels of all that. That's kind of my inspiration. And Al Lomax, obviously, those kind of films. Yeah. If we're just talking about the visual and like spirit of the direction for it, or mm-hmm. lack thereof, direction for it. Yeah. Yeah. What like how has that changed since you started? I mean, it, I feel like it, it adheres to a similar aesthetic across the board, but I'm I'm sure it must have shifted. Oh up. yeah, when it started, I was just no good. So it <laughs> took a long time to it took a long time to make it look as good as I had it in my head. Mm-hmm. I think people really liked the beginning ones too. I guess I've always had good enough taste not to completely trash whatever I was filming, uh, though I have before, I'm sure I messed it up a lot. The recent ones have gotten way better with mm-hmm. the terms of audio. You know, we, we actually worked with Sennheiser a little bit and they sent us um, some new mics and the gear has been getting slowly better through, you know, mostly through our other business, which is like commercial video production. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, 
adjacently while I was doing gems, starting from nothing, obviously. Like, I didn't go to school, like I said. You know, I had to, like, bust tables for my first camera. So it was like, the gear has been getting better and better over the years, just through, you know, a combination of commercial work and practicing techniques. You know, I had to have filmed, like, a, I don't even know, like, thousands of artists by now, mm -hmm. um, acoustically, you know, like, in, in sessions, either for gems or for our day job. So it's definitely been a, a process accumulating all this technology and skill. Yeah. So if you yeah you can still see those videos on the channel too from eight years ago, uh, and those are funny to watch. You should, <laughs> I don't recommend anybody dig into those, but you can. They're still there. I no plans on deleting them yet. They probably won't watch with the same baggage you bring to it. Yeah. No. Definitely not. They'll probably be like, "Wow, this is great." And I'll be like, wow. What is that terrible noise? What was I pointing the camera at? I started out with one camera because the Logitech and Al Nomax were both usually one take, one right. camera, and I, I thought that was really cool for a while, and uh, I've changed from that. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's more, I always do two camera. Right. Uh, I think it, that just makes it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you can pick up literally twice the nuance. With twice the footage, <laughs> man. I was amazed. I was like, wait, you can have more than one camera? Yeah, absolutely. You can see what people's fingers are doing. Yeah, I couldn't afford more than one camera. Is for. <laughs> uh, now, now that I can afford two, sometimes three. Oh, it's wild. Yeah, it's great. If you didn't have to worry about sort of slowly introducing genre not genre pivots but diver, you know diversity mm -hmm. into the into the genre representation what would you what would you want to see seen on that channel uh okay well the first thing too also is funny it's not just me that has to worry about the uh slow introduction of different kinds of content because i reach out to people i've reached out to big crit like seven times who's like this rapper in mississippi mm -hmm. Um, I've reached out to him and tried to like get him to I think it'd be sick if he got on the channel and did like a did, you know because he writes this amazing poetry right. uh, which is rap but it's mm -hmm. poetry like this guy writes stuff that like blows my mind and you know they're not going to get it they don't get it they right. watch the channel and they see this one thing and they're like I don't understand uh, you know I'm sure because they hadn't responded so <laughs> like you know I assume that you know they don't they don't understand it it's going to take yeah that slow they have slow curation and kind of like broadening of the different things that we do to kind of get that wheel turning and get people in able to see themselves in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a catch 22 in a way. It's like cat and mouse kind of thing. Uh, chicken and egg, is that what it is? Yeah. So uh, if I didn't have to worry about that, I mean, I want to film, yeah, I want to film rappers, you yeah. know, doing their stuff. I want to film, you know, I want to go to like Nairobi and film like music out there and, you know, find right. the folk music of the world. That's my goal, you yeah. know, to film what people are singing about all over the place. What's interesting is if I post it right now, it would be like negative views, you know, they, they people would watch it and trash it, which I don't want, you know, I got to yeah. slowly, I, but if it starts to make more sense on the channel for people and they come to expect it more, it'll be easier for me to kind of draw those things in, you know, trying to open people's minds and broaden their horizons, which is funny because, you know, a lot of people do get it. A lot of people don't, but a lot of people will comment and be like, I only liked heavy metal until I saw this. Thank you so much for opening my mind to like this. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's great. You know, you should have that mindset for everything. Because then I'll post something like, that they don't like for right. the election, they'll be like, "This is shit." It doesn't uh, go yeah, to yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't. They don't seem to continue on that mindset. But you right. know, you get, I, I hope to get people to be open-minded to more things. You know, and I do. I think if anybody watched the channel now, the a big problem would be the lack of diversity on it. And uh, that's something that I hope people know that I'm trying to bring it uh, a little more fresh faces of you know more women on it. There's not a lot you know, and I feel that needs to be remedied but there's a problem that's a problem everywhere i guess isn't it like you know i think i was seeing the other day that there was only like very small percentage of festivals across the country yeah. have female bands on the bill right uh female fronted acts on the bill and i'm thinking like yeah it's the same for me right well and there's uh, a big conversation within that community about even just getting people to hire side men who are women right side, yeah side women just even hiring in the yeah, whole. yeah. Like, like garth brooks won the cma entertainer of the year award this year right garth and brooks, yeah. yeah and it's like there are at least four women yeah, yeah garth brooks <laughs> who's, who's, could have qualified for that. he's already been there done that we don't need any more him yeah, I'm, so, I'm trying did he, did he release oh you please do a garth brooks session Oh god! Oh, I did almost get a Toby Keith music video. Oh. That would have been funny, and it didn't fantastic. pay very good, surprisingly. So, <laughs> well, I think out. a way a lot of those guys who are no longer popular stay rich is by keeping their money, not paying anyone. <laughs> That's, that's fair, man. Good for them. Keep that money. And so, I mean, I love the idea of, you know, going the Nairobian 
crabbing folk music yeah, there. Yeah, that would be sick. Crazy. Our buddy J.P. Harris. Uh, oh, that dude's awesome. Isn't he? And yeah. He's really Lovely good at that. Guy. Yeah, he was in Africa doing, like, you know, teaming up with, like, this, uh, I forgot what country he was in. I think it might have been uh, Nairobi or something, but don't quote me on that. I forget which one exactly. I think it was... Uh, uh, Liberia, mm. and he was there doing like uh, you know teaming up with their like whole folk music crowd, which you know to them is very different folk music for us, I guess. But it's just like right. you know people doing music, and uh, he's like you know with the the Ministry of Music there or something yeah. like and like teaming up with them and like doing all these like collaborations with rappers and stuff, and I love that. And he gets it, and I, that's what I want to do with the channel too. Is kind of like diversify it like that, you know, because I think music. It's gonna. It's so cliche to say, but it, it really heals the divides that people see. You know, I, these people that watch partisan news twenty four seven. If they just listened to music instead, and like kind of started to see the connections of the fabric between language and music, and like our past and our future, and the way it all interweaves. You know, like if mm -hmm. you start to realize that the banjo was an instrument that came from Africa. Right mixed with a uh, European, you know, idea of frets. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Picking was, up some, some Anglo-Saxon on the way. Yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> it did. It all came together yeah. like that. And if people people don't see these connections, they don't think about them, right. it makes it a lot easier to be like, oh, we're, we're all so different. Our cultures are so different. Mm -hmm. You know, I always see it funny when people think, like, they accuse uh, musicians of stealing different songs. Right. And I'm like, it's just like that's how you do it like it's it's all influence for you know i'm sure there's some people who are m maliciously like stealing riffs and stuff but for the most part i mean it's a, we're all influencing each other it's a big melting pot and i think that if people realize that people that study language and that study the history of music are more empathetic they become better people and they get they just are you're just better you have a better quality of life if you study music and you, you play music and you just have a broader, uh, even if you don't play the music and you just listen and you have, a, you have an ear for it, you start to see the connections and you, you feel closer to everybody. Yeah. If you feel better. Yeah. I think anyway, I hope. I think that's a perfect way to end. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> we did it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you, Anthony, for coming on. As I understand it, there is video of this interview somewhere on the internet, and that might be worth watching. I don't know, probably enjoyable for you video folks. Thank you so much to Michael Eads for doing all sound-related things for this podcast, specifically the post-production. Thank you for putting it all together. I don't know what else I have to tell you. Um, you know, follow us on social, leave a review, rate, subscribe, do all of this stuff. It's all very helpful. If I don't talk to you before the holiday, I don't know which holiday you celebrate, but if I don't talk to you before it, I hope you have a good one. And take care of yourself, take care of your mental health, love on yourself a little bit. Give some, give some time to you. All right. Thanks, everybody.